Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Darlene. For our guest today, please welcome Scott Reynolds, co-founder of Up.Codes. By automating code compliance, Upcodes AI is the spell check for buildings. Upcodes helps the AEC industry deliver code-compliant buildings and provides tools to manage building codes, avoid project delays, and clarify requirements. Upcodes makes researching building regulations less exhausting for architects. For more information, feel free to visit up.codes. That's up.codes. Hello, Scott. We're honored and excited to have you on the Modern Architect Radio Show today. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're honored. Thank you, Scott. Scott, you know, I, I want to share, it's it's fascinating what you've done, definitely, and uh, extremely useful from what um, we've discovered. If you can provide, you know, some of your early inspirations or an inspiration as to kind of where where you are now and like where it kind of began, even if you can go back as far as your own childhood, like, you know, where can you kind of see like, I'm, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing when I was, you know, at this age, I really love this. Is there any any link to those early inspirations to what you do now? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think there's a pretty common thread through really all my childhood all the way to um, education at, at Syracuse and then into practice. Um, so early on, I was always interested in design, specifically structural and, and building design. Um, and I think that goes way back to an early childhood, even even so far as building uh, popsicle replicas of, of buildings really? and proposed uh, structures. I, I remember being being quite young. My um, I, I was making a, a case to, to my father to, that we should build a, a diving a diving tower to, to jump into the lake, uh, but to kind of prove the concept and and, and kind of highlight exactly how this would look. He insisted that we first build it out of popsicle sticks, a, a small uh, scaled yeah. model uh-huh. for what it would eventually become. And I guess it was pretty successful. We finally convinced him that we should uh, <laughs> build it in real life, and um, it's pre- it a pretty simple structure, but uh, but it definitely worked, and it made for a lot of fun summers uh, oh. by the lake. And how old were you? Do you recall? I think we're. I, I was probably around twelve or thirteen at the time. So you had that going on at twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I think it, it's been a pretty common thread, pretty steady, and that went all the way through high school. And my uh, my teacher said, "Hey, look, you know, 
this seems to be a, a particular area of interest for you, you should try architecture. Uh-huh. And they they suggested I do a summer a pre college summer program at Syracuse University, uh, which which was actually quite um, quite lucky they made that suggestion as that's where I'd ultimately end up for my architecture education. Excellent. Did you play any uh, do any sports at Syracuse? So I was involved with the um, triathlon team or club, I should say. Okay. Is, yeah, with the uh, triathlon club. Ah, so you so you have definitely into um, sports and athletics at some level. Did it help uh, offset some of the uh, the the stresses of, of architecture? I definitely think that's the case. I would suggest any architecture student uh, do the same. It's just a really nice break at a couple hours outside of the studio just to clear your head and get some exercise. So I highly suggest it to any of of the, the current students out there. Yeah, because I recall, especially Syracuse is um, the school of many uh, great athletes, in particular Jim Brown and, and lacrosse. Uh, yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, that, that's that's right. So you went to ar- architecture. Is it, uh, it did the, your passion grow w- with learning about it or did it kind of wane or both? It definitely grew. Um, so academia is very design centric. So it's it's dealing kind of with the with the pure design of architecture. You don't have a lot of constraints. Obviously, a lot of these real world constraints that I'd, I'd come to learn later on in, in my career really didn't exist in, in academia. So it's it's this very very kind of fun time of, of just pure architectural design. Yeah, I like how you say that that constraints did not exist. I wonder if that's by design. You know, I, I think it probably is. It, it, now, it'll likely change on what, what school you do go to. Schools like, like Cornell or, or Syracuse tend to be more design-centric, a, a lot more design-heavy. I know some other schools tend or bias towards the other end of the spectrum being a little bit more technical. Um, so I think it really depends on, on kind of the school you, you end up uh, studying architecture at. Yeah. If you look back now from school and to where you are now, do you see some of the connections to, as to why you uh, formed UpCodes? Definitely. I think that the biggest motivator was my, my first experience jumping into practice. I graduated from school kind of with this very um, kind of, I'd say, limited view of what the industry would actually entail because working through that first project and understanding those regulations that kind of confine or, or set the parameters around a building was very eye-opening for me. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that, oh yeah, sorry, go, go No, ahead. no, please carry on, Scott. That first project or two was the first time I really encountered any kind of parameters. And on, on one hand, that's the, the budget constraint from the client. And the other hand, that's the real world application of building codes. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my first experience with regulation. Yeah. And uh, what what was the inspiration for UpCodes? And I know I did we did our own discovery, but share with our, our audience, you know, how UpCodes came about. Was it from frustration, joy, both? It was, I would say, uh, um, firmly in, in the camp of frustration. Okay. <laughs> was, All right. I was dealing a lot. Um, well, at the time I was working in Hong Kong, working on a uh, the TP-Link headquarters in, in Shenzhen in, in mainland China. And I, I was very much acting as a conduit of, of information between the New York City design team and kind of our office mm-hmm. or the satellite office in, in Hong Kong. And it was really coordinating a lot of those building codes. And, and that was definitely a very frustrating experience trying to understand all of the regulations that went on behind the building and then communicating that back to the design team in New York. Okay. Yeah. So, so what was your first, uh, when you decided you're going to do something about it? Do you recall the year, the time, so, or like even if it was a, a particular moment? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I believe in 2015, at that point, I had moved to New York City working for Cohen, Peterson, Fox, and had the same experience uh, digging through physical books, PDFs, government websites to understand all these regulations. It seemed like a very archaic, backwards way, very, very unstructured <laughs> way to kind of navigate these regulations. So I reached out to my brother, Garrett, who would later become my co-founder at, at Upcode. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Garrett was working as a software engineer at uh, PlanGrid, which is another construction-related yeah. startup. So I invited him over to New York for Thanksgiving. So he came and, and he visited me in, in New York, and, and we kind of hashed it out. So Over turkey uh, or, or, you, or, uh, um, or mashed potatoes? It, it was... It was it was it was during the hours in which we should have been preparing the turkey. Oh, <laughs> um, oh okay. It was, it was in that morning and afternoon. All right. So so I had him over and, and and we really talked about it for the first time. I said, hey, look, this is kind of the the workflow that I'm going through, and it seems very old school, very very archaic. Do you think there's a software solution to that could kind of alleviate a lot of these problems? Mm. And he he was pretty blown away by the state of affairs. I <laughs> uh, didn't quite believe me, so I had to uh, I. I challenged him to find several sections of code, and I believe one had to do with like a handrail, the uh, maximum height of a handrail, as well as the openings. So the maximum opening uh, between the, the vertical components and, and the handrail. And so he, he dove in. He, he dove into the books. He started researching. And then I, I don't know how long it took him, but a long while later, he eventually didn't find it. And then he was pretty, he was pretty convinced that this was, in fact, a problem. And, and uh, he kind of felt that pain point, I think, uh, a little bit more firsthand and than me just explaining it to him. Yeah. What's the timeline for that? If you can recall from where you express your, uh, your frustration and your challenges to uh, your brother Garrett's realization that, you know what, you're correct on this. It is a challenge. Well, I, I think during that Thanksgiving, we, we kind of planted the seed for the idea, but okay. we didn't, we didn't really act on it. We were just kind of hashing around ideas. What are the potential software takes we, we could do about this like what what would it actually become now it seems kind of obvious looking back at it but at the time like we really didn't know what form that might take so it was really between that thanksgiving and then the new the following new year's uh, when we got back together for another family vacation and we started to hack together a prototype so we, we started to put together a little bit of code i was doing research into like which particular codes we would we would look at garrett was doing the back end um, ingesting those codes setting up the search engine for the code. And then we made our very, very first prototype over that winter vacation. Yeah. How was the prototype in your rest uh, looking back on it now? Oh, wow. It, it was so crude. It's unbelievable. We, we were extremely <laughs> proud at, at the time. Uh, but looking back, it's just, it was absolutely uh, very, very crude and simplistic. Yeah. But what's the word proof of edification that, uh, hey, this can't um, work? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we, we often call it the MVP or the most viable product. And oh, nice. To, to be honest, this is, Probably, it, probably even too early to call it an MVP. All we were looking at was the kind of backend API output that a search query would result. There, there was no formatting. It didn't look like Google. There's no search bar. Um, you'd simply, in the URL of the website, you would like, manually type in the search terms you're looking for, and okay. it would just spit out in, in raw text. Uh, those, oh. those search results. Oh, <laughs> so that's, nice. that's how basic it was at the beginning. Yeah, but you, you got the, the light literally went on. When did you decide to uh, form a company or did it did it kind of happen earlier or a little bit later, Scott? So it definitely happened a little bit later. Actually, I'd say much later. So we had kind of built it up for, for a few months and then let it loose into the wild um, on, <laughs> online. Into the wild. And, uh, 
And, and we really just thought it was a side project. We didn't anticipate it becoming a business or, or getting much traction. But as the months would go on, it, it kind of it, it grew and grew and grew and, and gained more and more users and more traction and a little bit more, a little bit more kind of focus from from the industry. So we we kind of put a little bit more time into it, and it, it kept growing and growing to a point where we decided, hey, th- you know. Maybe there is something here. It, it wasn't just my pain point and my colleagues, but mm-hmm. maybe it really is an industry-wide pain point. Uh, we decided to leave our, our jobs. I, I left uh, Cone Peterson Fox, and Garrett would le- later leave Plain Grid. And then we went uh, or started working on the, the project full-time. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. It's you, uh, when you reach the, it's an industry-wide pain point, and you left your jobs. What was that like, leaving your jobs? Were they, were they shocked, happy, excited, pushed you along? You know, what? I think a little bit of both. Definitely a little bit of excitement, uh, which is great. I, I think they're very, very surprised. It, it was definitely an unusual move. So, so I had, had been working uh, as, a, as an architect and then leaving to do something completely outside of, you know, drawing, um, drawing plans and drawing sections and doing building design and starting to design a web product. Um, so it's it a very, very different kind of uh, trajectory, career trajectory. So I think there was a little bit of, of, of shock there. Uh, but but overall, I think I think excitement and encouragement, which we certainly appreciated. Yeah, how was that working with your brother? Because I think that's sacred when you're able to work with your brother, especially on an, an entrepreneurial venture like this. Yeah, it's worked out really well, and, and I think our, our skill set skill sets are very very different. So I'm coming from more of a product side. I, I know the industry and a design perspective, and that definitely helps in in the web and the UI and user mm-hmm. interface. Garrett's background is is all on the on the programming side. So he loves backend. He doesn't like dealing with the interface at all. So it's very complementary, our skills. So I think that that's really kind of gone a long way to avoid us stepping on each other's feet because we definitely have very clear distinctions in, in each other's roles in the company. Yeah, that's excellent. Let's touch back on that when we return. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Since 1985, Project Open Hand has provided home-delivered meals, groceries, and nutrition counseling to critically ill neighbors and seniors in San Francisco and Alameda counties. Their slogan is Meals with Love, and they invite you to become a member of the Project Open Hand family by volunteering or supporting their efforts to deliver 2,500 meals and 200 bags of groceries daily. To find out more, visit openhand.org. We're talking today with Scott Reynolds, co-founder of Up. Dot codes. UpCodes makes researching building regulations less exhausting for architects. For more information, you can visit up.codes. That's up.codes. Scott, can you share with our listeners, you know, how they can use up.codes? Yeah, well, there, there's certainly two ways. The first and probably easiest way is just to go search it on Google uh, or go directly to the website. Find your state. And within your state, you'll have all of the codes and regulations listed out for you. And then you can search across those regulations and start to kind of understand what codes might be relevant to your project or to your renovation or whatever you might be working on. Mm-hmm. That, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, we recently released a new product called Upcode AI, which becomes the spell check for building compliance while designing. So that's geared a little bit more towards the professionals and people working within BIM software, such as Revit. Yeah. So what's the, been the response so far? The, the response has, has been great. We, we've had a lot of inbound interest and a lot of folks signing up for the beta, for the beta program. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty incredible seeing it out in the real world and, and detecting violations in that real world models. 
for many months, we had developed it internally and always looked at the models we had in-house. So it's very validating seeing it out in the marketplace, detecting real code violations and saving people uh, potentially hundreds of hours and, and a lot of money and, and uh, avoided code mistakes. Yeah. Speaking of saving money, have you ever quantified or is any, uh, any of your subscribers, it is subscription-based, correct? It is subscription-based. That's, uh, okay. That's right. okay. That's really good. Uh, so in, in regards to saving clients money, have has anyone ever quantified or have you helped them quantify the savings and the advantage of, of, uh, of up.codes? codes? That that's a great question, and while we've had a lot of informal comments come in, we, we've we've yet to done that very formalized ROI calculation. It's um, do, doing a startup. We quickly realized it's, it's a matter of putting fires out and and uh, yeah. and kind of uh, uh, limited resources to tackle all these areas. But that's certainly something we'd love to uh, produce in, in the near future. Yeah. How about how about the uh, the types of companies that are utilizing your uh, professional service? Are they are they cities, states, private companies, large firms? Have you ever have you done your own idea of what type of industries they're coming from? Or not industries, but yeah. uh, space. Yeah, we, we, we certainly have. And, and it really cuts across all all of those those categories you mentioned, which we're really happy about. We we love to kind of Built to tap into or, or help out from from the small organizations all the way to the largest organizations in the mm-hmm. country, um, as well as government agencies. So we, for example, the city of Berkeley is a user, so their plans examiners will utilize the software to parse through the code and, and more or, or quick more efficiently arrive to that that research or get to those code sections while they review plans. Yeah. And how does that feel knowing that that cities now cities and you have how many users now, uh, say this month? Uh, the, so we, we, we just surpassed 125,000 uh, monthly uniques. I say, say that again, 100, um, 125,000 monthly uniques. Okay. Wow. And they think of it came from Thanksgiving dinner. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't think we ever anticipated it growing beyond a hundred thousand. I remember reading an article what? and they were saying, talking about a business and, and it said like, you know, you should really be getting over a hundred thousand monthly uniques. And, and I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, well, this can never be a business. We'll, we'll never reach a hundred thousand. So when we eventually surpassed that number, it was a, uh, it was a pretty big deal internally for us. Uh, and a big, a big celebration. Yeah, uh, rightfully so. What other experiences that have you had? Let's say, let's start with some of the. What were the challenges initially of getting to that hundred twenty five thousand uh, monthly uniques? So, if you're so at liberty to probably, share with us. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Very, very happy to. Probably our, our our biggest challenge was the the changing nature of of all the codes. So so regulations are very much not a static set of data. So these things are constantly evolving. Every couple of years, they go for major overhauls within jurisdictions, such as like New York State or New York City, California, San Francisco. But they also are prone to errata being being written or updates. So whether it's a big overhaul or little updates, those are constantly being issued across the country for the various jurisdictions. So one of the biggest hurdles early on, and, and something we still spend a lot of time doing, is building the tooling around monitoring the different changes across the country, and then also uh, getting that, that new information and making sure the codes are, are most up-to-date. Oh, okay. Now, how do you, is your, are your updates, what, weekly, monthly, by the minute? Uh, I know you, you, you use AI in there. How prevalent is your AI with your whole upcodes? So it, de- it definitely varies. There is a very kind of labor-intensive 
component to to some of these updates. So it really depends. Some some are really quick. Sometimes we can ship them in a matter of days or or in a week, um, but some take several weeks to get one of these big overhauls that that happen in some of these jurisdictions. So it really depends on on the kind of change and the magnitude of that change. Okay, and now so 125, and that's over uh, how many? Is it a year? A couple of years? Well, that's 125 users per month. Per month. Um, so, our, so our, yeah, from beginning from. Um, oh, like the like the trailing thirty days. So okay. the last thirty days, one hundred twenty five thousand people have been active on the site, and that number continues to grow. Yeah, I, I bet. Now, um, it's got. Uh, I, I read somewhere it's between what five and ten percent almost a week. Is that correct, or uh, is that, am I stretching it a bit of users? Is, is, is that um, is, is is that growth? Yeah, the growth about ten five ten percent. Uh, oh, you, you know what? Like I I wouldn't be able to quote you a number. Because I haven't, I haven't checked in recently. That's what it used to be. I think it used to be ten or eleven percent week over week growth. Okay. But um, that was in t- last year, so I would have to double check for this year. So I d- unfortunately don't know that number offhand. Okay. How involved are you? Is it almost twenty four seven? If you really look at it, that at least you mentally uh, are in the game. It certainly is. Yeah, it, okay. it, it is absolutely twenty four seven. Um, I, I think uh, both, both myself, my co-founder, and a lot of our team, it, it's become dangerously like an obsession. <laughs> we, we're kind of nervous about how much we, we think about it, how, how much we work on it, and, and are constantly thinking about uh, different ways to expand and how can we provide better value to, to the users. Yeah. How, how do you turn it off? Do you still do any sort of you know, triathlons that you're doing? Or how, how do you, how do you uh, manage that sort of uh, intense mental firepower that's required to you know keep a company going oh you you hit the nail on the head there it's uh yeah definitely i've stuck with the triathlons uh for exactly that reason so about one or two times a year i'll get together with a lot of my architecture friends and we'll we'll do a um do a triathlon somewhere in the country so uh the training for that the preparation is, is definitely a nice way to allocate a few hours a week just for kind of clear your head and and break out of the office for a little bit yeah how about your do you get getting insights while you're even training that's not even working oh yeah you you, you know what i should um yeah i should i should put a caveat there that uh <laughs> when, when i'm training and riding with my architect friends i'm definitely bouncing ideas off them routinely so you're so not sure, you're I'm still sure not pretty... turned off <laughs> completely yeah. no you're, you're right you're so right. it is maybe, maybe it's just throttling back okay so you're it's all consuming it's even more so than when you were uh, an employee that it's much more all-consuming, it sounds like, than uh, even when you were employed. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. One, one of our big big reflections looking back was the difference between uh, being and being employed and then operating and running the company is mm-hmm. you, you don't really, you know, you don't really leave work at the office. Um, so when you go home at night or, or on the weekend, you really do bring work home with you. So I think that was one of the big differences in terms of our, our kind of experience that, that both myself and Garrett found. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's Garrett's experience from uh, when he was, was it Plan Grid? Did I get it correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he was at Plan Grid. Okay. So what's, what's Garrett's experience from your, from your experience of his experience of this, uh, this endeavor? So, so I think, I think very, very similar. I think he, he was pretty shocked at the kind of all consuming nature of, of the <laughs> startup world and, and launching a business. I know previously he, he would be able to balance uh, working at PlanGrid, but also contributing to open source projects. So open source contributions were, were always kind of a big part of his day-to-day or uh, uh, passions, I guess, or hobbies. Okay. Yeah, so I think launching the business... Sorry, sorry about the background. No, no, we want the, we want the background. This is real life, real show. 
Real people. <laughs> hey, that's our new tagline. <laughs> uh, no, 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 please carry on, Scott. So Gary used to have this this balance between his work at PlanGrid and also these open source contributions. And I think when he started to phase full time into into the startup and into upcodes, unfortunately, some of that open source contributions kind of had to fall by the wayside as as the full focus was spent on the company. But I think, you know, in in, in both our kind of perspectives, working on the company definitely has a very far reach. Um, kind of one of the thing, cool things about tech is it's very scalable. So we'll put in a couple hours of work, but that'll impact hundreds of hours of people on the site. So it's kind of um, trade-off between uh, contributing to open source, but on the other hand, uh, working on this very kind of impactful uh, work. Yeah. When you go back to that tech is scalable or share with me, uh, uh, share with us your experience with the, that it's scalable. So it's really interesting. We'll, we'll look at the analytics and, and metrics and kind of get a sense of how many hours and users people spend on the site each day. And then uh, I, I believe we did the math at some point, but we, we, we took into account the amount that our team, the hours our team spends per day in, in total. Okay. So that might be like 40 or 45 hours of like human work hours per day, but there would be thousands of, of hours uh, spent by the users on the site. So it was very interesting for us to see that surpass. And, and, and to rewind a little bit, at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of, of upcodes, that didn't used to be the case. There'd be more hours from, from our team spent on the website than, than users would actually spend on the site. Okay. So it, it was a very interesting inflection point for us internally when, when that finally, that kind of switch flipped and, and that, that balance flipped to the other side. Yeah, uh, you said earlier as well, your industry-wide pain point, is that, is that sort of a mental mantra that you, uh, you and Garrett think about? Is the what is their pain points at least at this point? It definitely is. Yeah. So so we're constantly reflecting back on my old processes working as an architect and what the pain points were there. But also, and at this point, probably more influenced by jumping on the phone with users. So we try to be as user centric as possible. Uh, whenever a user is willing to jump on the phone, we'll 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 jump on the phone with them and try and really understand like what what is is, is their current pain point. How can we alleviate that at least with our abilities and if we can leverage any tech solution uh, for that. Um, so, so it's become very, very user kind of focused in terms of the pain points and kind of keeping our pulse on the industry and what, what exactly will provide the most value and most benefit for people. That's terrific. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. The California Water Impact Network, or CWIN, is a nonprofit organization that works to ensure equitable and environmentally sensitive use of California's water. Recent goals have included ensuring that adequate water flows through the San Francisco Bay Delta and upstream rivers, stopping poor irrigation practices, which can waste water and poison our land, waterways, and wildlife, and ensuring that water resources are allocated fairly. If you'd like to become a member, donate, or volunteer, go to c-win.org. That's c-win.org. We're talking today with Scott Reynolds, co-founder of Up.Codes. Up.Codes makes researching building regulations less exhausting for architects. For more information, feel free to visit Up.Codes. That's Up.Codes. Scott, we're just uh, before we went into the break, industry-wide pain points, and it's something that you're consistently, you're, uh, it's on your mind, and you're very user-centric. I sense a real, um, a genuine 
level of care from you and I, and definitely going to your website, I can see that. And, uh, how, how is your experience when you actually have to work and talk with people about, you know, how you can help them? Are you just as enthusiastic about engaging them that way as you are with, uh, you know, your, the, the service that you provide? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it becomes a very validating kind of point where, where we do talk to users and kind of understand the, the impact of, of a lot of our efforts. Because you, you definitely don't want to feel like you're spinning your wheels. So you, you do a lot of work, and like we were touching on before, uh, it's very all-consuming. All so it becomes very validating to jump on the phone with users, meet them in person, grab a coffee, uh, and then kind of hear how uh, the tools and how all the new features that have been rolled out have been worked into their workflow, and if it's saved time, if it's alleviated any of that pain. So it's definitely like a very rewarding, and I think something that we probably enjoy the most. Whenever it's like some, you know, a tough push or like some some long hours, there's nothing better than jumping on the phone with someone who's benefiting from from that effort. That's terrific. It's very interesting that you said we go grab a coffee because we had a a recent interview with uh, the folks at Swinerton, Swinerton Builders, Jeff Hoops and Eric Foster. And uh, when they talked about, you know, they've got so many major projects around the country, sometimes even in the world. And when they, they said quite often that, yeah, we know what we do is we go ahead and grab a coffee or get a cold beer. And it just seems like, so like, wow. And it's obviously the 21st century and everyone's very tech oriented. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people are, you know, tech is, is, is just on everyone's mind daily and, and AI as well. And yet you say, go grab a coffee. So you have a very human element into your technology. Is it, is that, correct or am i uh, am i stretching no not at all i think i think that's exactly right okay. i think like with, with some of these with some of these solutions and like you mentioned that in the previous interview the the solutions get so big the numbers get so large i think it's very easy to to lose touch with with kind of the real human impact of, of these things I like that i think you 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 have to look at a big picture of course and, the, and you look at the analytics and 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 these big picture numbers and, and trends and you can optimize the website you can build features based on analytics but at the end of the day you 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 need to keep your your pulse um on on the industry and and understand on on an individual level what what those impacts are and i think i think if you don't have that that balance between the two um you you can definitely uh, be led astray yeah. um, so so we're very attuned to that and 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 really put a lot of effort into to connecting as much as possible with users. Yeah, so it's it sounds like it's built in or by design that you want to have that that human interface. It is, yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. And and even to a point where before rolling out any feature, we'll mm-hmm. have a lot of mockups. We'll have some some basic some basic product of it, and and before shipping anything, we'll we'll always put it in front of uh, people outside of our office. Whether whether that's end user, we'll we'll sometimes t- uh, ping people in adjacent industries if if we think there's good insights to be had there. But we always want to validate it at the end of the day uh, to the end user. Ah, so the end user is actually helping sharpen. Uh, if, if I'm reading it right, sounds like you're you're also um, uh, you're listening and you're attuned to the your users and how they can help better your product and your service. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's um, that's that's been a big trend and and a, and a mantra that that Y Combinator always preaches is, is exactly that. Yeah. What else have you? Uh, how do you gauge your uh, if you've ever put a percentage on how much is actually tech based and then how much is actually uh, a human base in your in in your practice? I don't know if you ever put a real number to it, but if you if you just put an approximation, is 
How much is human interaction and and, uh, tech interface? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I would I would put it at probably seventy percent tech focused and 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 coding, with thirty okay. percent spent on on validation, on on putting it in front of you know a very a very human kind of kind of one to one level uh, validation and, and and research and testing. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd probably put it in that kind of. That kind of range. Although, yeah, you're right. I, I don't, definitely don't have an exact number there. <laughs> I, know. I guess you can gauge it by how many coffees you have with your uh, with your folks. Now, <laughs> right. How, right. how how else? Yeah, we talked about how you your users actually help sharpen you. What else do you do? What other? How do you balance yourself? Not just physically. Do you, do you have a, a faith base? Is it your uh, meditate? How do you kind of how do you balance this all consuming? of being an entrepreneur and being a successful business? Well, you know, you know I don't, I don't if know. If it's too personal, you don't have to answer, but, uh, Oh no, not, not a problem. Okay. No, happy to answer. Um, outside of kind of triathlon and, and training, I, I wouldn't necessarily call this relaxing, but, uh, but a great way is just connecting with other companies, connecting with other professionals, other entrepreneurs, other startups, and then getting a sense of, of the hurdles they're going over they they um, they're great to bounce ideas off of, help you through your own hurdles. So I think that support network um, is, is is invaluable, and and I think it's it's very very strong here in San Francisco and, and the Bay Area. There's just endless folks to meet, and and that network is just just very very robust. So I think that's probably like the number one kind of balancer yeah. uh, in terms of the in terms of the stressors. Are there are they in the same space or no? They can be in completely different field or an industry. Yeah, I think I think you definitely want both. Okay. So in the same space is great because because they understand the space. They you can bounce off very nitty gritty uh, problems and they, and they give very very good feedback, very insightful. Uh, but it's great to reach outside the industry as well. So if that's marketing, if that if that's PR, if it's if it's user interface design, user experience design, it's great to kind of tap into different industries and then you get a very very fresh insight yeah. from those folks. Have you I ever? Oh, yeah. sorry. Go, go ahead, please. So it's really good. Oh, I say it's a... Yeah, I'm excited. So that's why I jump in, Scott. It's not to interrupt you. Yeah, no, not a problem. I'm, like, no, I'm, no. I'm loving what you're doing big time. So segue into support with other groups or with other uh, other entrepreneurs. Have you ever found that what may work in one industry can work in yours as well from that sort of support and connection? Absolutely. I, I think um, I'm, I'm trying to remember a quote. Um, I think it was Eric Schmidt who mentioned combinatory innovation, and which is the phenomena of technological innovations happening different areas and in different industries, but bringing those together to form a new solution in a completely new industry. And I think that's happening all the time. So there's a lot of advancements in different industries, but the cross-pollination, I think, is where the most interesting products and, and advances uh, do happen. And to answer your question, yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. Like insight or advancements in one area can more often than not, I think, at least provide some insight or, or guidance to a new industry. Uh, are there any books or any magazines that you look at frequently to uh, uh, either draw inspiration, draw insight, or just kind of uh, rest your mind a bit? on uh, your processes? I think one of the best news outlets is, is Hacker News, uh, which is a Y Combinator which... uh, Hacker News. Okay, Hacker News. And it's a very, it's a kind of a crowdsourced news outlet 
that, that gets ranked based on on upvotes for the um, importance of different issues of, of the day or of the week. So it's it's a great way to to kind of get a balance of global trends, political trends, but also and and mainly I would say like tech, technology and, and new trends happening. So that's probably the best place. And then in, in a more analog way, just grabbing those coffees and and, and meeting people <laughs> and going to meetups and um, it's kind of the the, the other end of that under end of uh, that spectrum. Yeah, so it's not like grabbing those coffees. Really, what it comes down to is you want to make people able to have go have a cup of coffee and relieve the pressure of the, you know finding the coach that you helped them. So you're if you can help more people have go and grab coffee, you're actually doing a terrific job. Yeah, right. That, that's a that's a very interesting uh, metric. We should we should start tracking that metric on the whiteboard. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, it is. Now, I, I like how you said cross pollination. Do you do you find yourself doing that on a weekly basis? With your with uh, with up dot codes, yeah, we, we we definitely do, and 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 whether that's over the phone or or, or grabbing lunch and, and trying to make a routine of of networking and, and keeping those networks fresh, I think it goes both ways. We we definitely we take in a ton of advice, it's a ton of interesting insights, and then we also try to contribute as much as possible. So any learnings we've had along the way, we try and offer to other folks to see if they can kind of react to that or harness those learnings. Um, so I think it definitely goes both ways, and. I think it's that intentionality behind keeping your network warm that that really really helps. Yeah, how have, can you share with us some recent stories of uh, of your users that uh, have shared with you their experience using Upcodes? Yeah, if you're, yeah. If you're yeah, at liberty absolutely. to do so, that's, or you can say their name, or you don't have to, but love to hear some story. Yeah, for for sure. And so, so actually, one off the top of my head is with Upcodes AI, and our very first iteration just showed the violations that it caught and brought those to the user's attention. What, what we didn't realize is that individuals would really like to see which uh, checks actually passed, not just the ones that failed. So having some transparency in, in what we're analyzing those models for. That was like a very, very interesting insight that we just never thought about before. We, we thought the user would only be interested in, in what went bad or what mm-hmm. or, or those potential violations, but, but not necessarily needing the, the confirmation that the other ones had passed. So that's that's something that we we gathered a lot of that initial feedback and then have since iterated on, and then now we we're working t- towards showing more and more of the algorithm and and the, the checks that are passed, and even providing a full list of all the codes that we check for. Oh, so that was if you if you weren't doing that, you would never have discovered it then. It, it, exactly, and and I it, kind of on that on that point, I think a lot of individuals and and companies tend to be very closed off with with their with their development and don't get that early feedback and if you don't iterate and and gather that early feedback then i think you're operating in a very kind of confined way and i think ultimately be very very limiting uh for your ultimate product yeah where do you see the the, the upcodes especially with the upcodes ai i don't know if you do uh you know two three year projections if uh if you're okay with sharing with us i'd love to hear you know what what some of the new you know where you where you want to go with this yeah, absolutely. So I think so. Two sides. One is Upcodes Web, the consolidation of all those regulations, mm-hmm. and then two is is the automated compliance or Upcodes AI. So on the on the web side, we'd very much like to expand as many jurisdictions in the U.S. as we can. We start a very state centric approach, um, so trying to get as much coverage at a statewide level and a national level as we can. But in the next couple of years, we'd love to descend into finer granularity. Um, so, so going into codes like San Francisco codes or, or Berkeley codes and things like, like Houston or, or LA 
and, and diving into these more fine uh, granularity in, in terms of codes. So that's kind of a process that's always happening in the background and that we're always working on. And then on the upcode AI side, the automated compliance, that's like a very long process. We see that as like a, like a three, four-year process. And every two weeks, we, we ship a new update that layers on more and more intelligence. And between now and, and that three or four year out mark, uh, we just want to get as, as much code coverage as we can and increase that percentage of checks that we can. And you said um, two ideally weeks? We, every two weeks, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So every two weeks, we automatically push an update and it captures whatever new code checks or the improvements on existing code checks that we've done. And that automatically gets updated um, in, in the software that's installed on the user's computer. Oh, that's fierce. Oh, every... Oh, so, so the iteration is a, a part of your life, it sounds like. It's not, not everything is, is that you just keep updating and getting it better, 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 uh, refining and refining, refining. Am I out of line or? No, that, that's exactly right. So it's, it's trying to tighten that flywheel as much as possible. So, so gathering the feedback, iterating and shipping again, gaining new feedback based on that new approach, uh, iterating it again and, and spinning that as, as fast as we can and tightening that, that kind of uh, iteration cycle as as tight and quickly as we can. Outstanding. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU, 90.1 FM, Stanford. The Music Maker Relief Foundation works to preserve the revered musical traditions of the American South, ensuring that musicians' voices will not be silenced by poverty or time. Music Maker brings live performances to underserved populations, guides artists in professional development, and assists with booking and tour management, and provides monthly stipends for food, shelter, and medical care when needed. You can help by volunteering your time or donating. For more information, visit musicmaker.org. We're talking today with Scott Reynolds, co-founder of UpCodes. UpCodes makes researching building regulations less exhausting for architects. For more information, you can visit up.codes. That's up.codes. Scott, um, I like that makes researching regulations less exhausting for architects have architects told you how much it's uh saved them i know we talked earlier about the, you know the value and a bit of quantifying the value but how about time and just the uh the stress level it's like oh thanks a lot i mean have you have you get, received those sort uh, uh stories yeah, we, we, we definitely have, and, and it's always validating to, to hear those stories. We've had a report recently that I think it's up to 60 or 70 hours per project are spent in, in code research or massaging the code or applying those codes in, into the project. So we're trying to cut that, that 60 or 70 hours down as, as much as we can. And, and from, from the feedback we've had over the last um, about two years, it, it seems like we're, like we're definitely moving the needle in the right direction and saving a lot of a lot of kind of tedious manual effort that people would have had to spend otherwise digging up these regulations and making sure they're up to date. 60 to 70 hours per project? Yeah, that's right. For I think I think it was at 80,000 square foot project. That's the average amount of time that would be spent in, in that project. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're giving these people their life back. See, it kind of goes back to then they can have more coffee or whatever they would want to do. Take <laughs> right. whatever they want to do on a social level, uh, a human level. Now that's significant. That is significant. How else are you reaching, uh, you know, marketing, um, upcodes? You know, how else do you reach out and people find you, you find them? How, how's it worked so far? So we've been entirely organic, uh, in terms of growth. 
So we, we do an SEO-driven strategy, uh, meaning search engine optimization. Okay. Yeah. So basically taking a lot of content, which, which are the codes, which are all the regulations, and putting it out there for free. So the, it, it provides a lot of content that uh, people are searching online tend to land onto the site, and they can browse, they can read all the codes for free. So that, that's been our, like, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it marketing effort, but that's kind of our acquisition effort in terms of getting people onto the site, getting them more familiar with um, the, the website and, and the service, and then some of those individuals elect to sign up themselves and they can subscribe to the site for more uh, advanced features like, like searching, collaborating, marking up, um, and annotating the, the codes. Yeah, I, I've got a quote from you, or at least I, I believe it's from you. It's, it's uh, If it's not, it might tell me. Our long-term goal is to have a unified database to answer any code questions a user may have, whether they're in the office or on the desktop or tablet or out in the field on a mobile device. But the, it's, I think that was you. I'm a, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that sounds right. Okay. I, 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 I'm I glad. That was me. <laughs> it's like, no, that's someone else. Yeah, share with us your, uh, you know, wh- why um, that's important to you. I think it really goes back to, to kind of the beginning of, of this uh, of this interview, which is my initial experience working in architecture. So it was very, very frustrating digging through the, these volumes of books and, and, and PDFs and government websites just to find the, the accurate information or the pertinent information. So kind of our overarching goal has been to deliver that information as fast as possible. No matter if you're in the office or if you're in the, on, on site in the field, um, regardless of where you are or what device you're using, trying to get that information to you as quickly and as simply as possible. And we, we hear some stories from, from users, like building inspectors, for instance, um, who will carry around all these physical books and throw them in the back of their oh, yeah. of their yeah, truck or, right. or in their car and drag them on site. But if we can deliver a, very, a much more efficient way for them to tap into the codes, I think it'll just make the, the construction process much, much uh, faster and more efficient. Yeah. From where you began with your prototype, Scott, with you, with you and uh, Garrett, to where you are now, wow, it's like gone into different universes, it sounds like, for the better. Well, it definitely, um, it's definitely much bigger than we ever thought it would, it would, it would grow. And especially in terms of automating the compliance. So when UpCode's AI comes in, that, that's something that we thought was five on the horizon. But, uh, but it, it's been really, really exciting, really fun to, to try and bring that product, introduce that to the industry much earlier than we anticipated it coming originally. Yeah. How about mentors? Have you, you leveraged mentors or have you sought them out or they seek you out? Or are you a mentor? So, yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I think, we, so we have many, many mentors which have been invaluable. And I think that's both within the industry, within architecture and engineering, as well as within tech. So on, on, the, on the tech side, uh, we went through the Y Combinator Accelerator program. And with that comes many, many experts kind of across the board in terms of expertise. It was incredible just tapping into these professionals uh, kind of insights around marketing, around the, the design of the website in terms of like acquisition and kind of cutting across um, each expert with their own um, experience in, in their own industry. And, and that's on the tech side. But then on the industry side, we've had a lot of inbound interest and um, people who would, who would eventually become mentors that help us through a lot of the domain-specific questions that we have, whether that's government approvals or some of the processes that I wasn't really exposed to as an architect, we can fill a lot of those holes with these mentors that have reached out. Yeah. Now, how are you, uh, are you modifying almost 
hourly in a way? I mean, at least you, your involvement. And, and sorry, what do you mean by modifying? You're just modifying the, the whole system and your approach uh, to you know reach out to your users. I would say we're iterating and, and modifying on an hourly level some days and then hourly? on other times oh. probably. Hourly. So, Man. so at the peak, we might ship maybe five to six new versions of the website a day. And that's making small changes. So little tweaks like like tweaking colors, uh, tweaking sizes and, and, and um, different UI elements, or actually changing the, the actual code. So the, the updates get shipped quite, quite frequently. Of course, I like changes per, per phase. Mm-hmm. So like five to six uh, releases would be like the, the peak of it. And then maybe on the other end, maybe a release every couple of days on the website. Yeah. How would you, what would you describe as your you know greatest joy to this point, Scott, in, in creating this? If you can put, you know, a description of, of one of your best joys of, of creating upcodes. It'd be hard to pinpoint a single one, but again, going to the kind of theme of, of the hour about those coffees, but, <laughs> um, but, but really like that, like that is the ultimate validation, like, like hearing that it has saved hours and hours in it and it saved potential code problems or code uh, mishaps down the line. And I think, I think that that's by far the most validating moment. And those are the moments we try and capture and uh, bring it back to the office and kind of share it with everyone and say like, you know, this is the feedback we've had. And, and, and it, it's a, it's a very big motivator for everyone. So I think um, hard to pinpoint a single one of those, but in terms of a category, that's definitely what I would uh, identify. That's true. That's terrific. Scott, Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you on our show. Thank you very much. We hope you consider coming back real soon. This is a great show. Well, Tom, thanks so much. It was, it, was, uh, it was great to be here and to talk with you. Excellent. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Scott Reynolds, co-founder of Up.Codes. By automating code compliances, Upcodes AI is the spell check for buildings. Upcodes helps the AEC industry deliver code-compliant buildings and provides tools to manage building codes, avoid project delays, and clarify requirements. Upcodes makes researching building regulations less exhausting for architects. That's great. For more information, feel free to visit up.codes. That's up.codes. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diaro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect.